Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our fall series, Created, Made for More, focusing our hearts toward biblical manhood and womanhood. God's beautiful design will lead us toward the flourishing He intends for us. We are in kind of the middle of our series. So we've been the last few weeks in a series called Created, Made for More. And what we've been looking at is this. What does it mean to be a man? And what does it mean to be a woman? And more specifically, how does the Bible define that? So what does it look like to be a biblical man? What does it mean to be a biblical woman? Because the two are different. Um, and God created, it wasn't just an accident. Did you know that? Did you know you were not an accident? And to go further than that, you aren't just not an accident. God created you, designed you with purpose and a plan. And the Bible would even declare to you that he knew you before you were ever in your mother. Even when you were in your mother's womb, God knew who you were and the plans he had for you. And we have been looking at that we have been looking at what makes a boy a man more than just a penis, right? And how many of you that's the first time you've heard that word in church? Yeah, it's okay. Some of y'all are like, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back to this place. It's more than biological, right? It's more than biological because I know a lot of boys that can shave. Yeah. And so there must be a distinction other than biological that makes one go from a boy to a man. And the same thing for a woman. There's got to be something other than biological that takes a woman from a girl to a woman. A set of behaviors. And how we define that matters. How you define, your, some of you would say this morning, I am a great godly woman. Or I'm a great godly man. Um, but I, I need to clarify, if you are judging yourself compared to your neighbor, you're looking at the wrong person. Yeah, it's true. And so what we said was that the person who can tell us how the design best works, how this thing is supposed to look, is the one who created us. If we're the created, we should go to the creator for the answers around design and how God um, determined for all that to work out. And so the last couple weeks, we've been looking at men. And the very first week, we said the purpose of a man was to work and keep. Before sin ever entered the world, men, hear me, you were designed to work and cultivate all that God created and then keep it, protect it, guard it. And we define that as headship. Um, and where men step in to the biblical purpose and design of leading and working for our families and protecting our communities and our churches and our families, that women and the kids around us should flourish. Husbands, hear me. If you're doing your job right, 
your wife, the Bible says, should look like a well-watered vine, full of life, vibrant. Yeah, I got an amen, yes. Um, and then we also said, that's why lazy men, hear me, this is why lazy men are so damaging to families and communities and churches. Because you weren't designed to be lazy. You were designed to work and to keep and to cultivate, to sow in to our wives and the women around us, to pour into and wring ourselves out for the women and kids, communities and churches that are around us. And if you are not, if you're punting on your responsibility, men, to do those things, you are sinning. That is sin. Don't just look at your laziness as apathy. Don't just look at your laziness as if, oh, well, I'm just tired. No, you are being sinful. And then last week, we talked about the hurdles. Like, why is it? So the question I got after Man's Purpose Week was, okay, Carl, man, that sounds like an incredible dude. That sounds like an incredible man. Where are they? Where are these men you talk about? You should see my husband. I won't name any names. Caveat here. Hey, don't be the Holy Spirit for the people next to you this morning. Let the Holy Spirit do his job, okay? No nudging, none of that. It ends poorly for you, I promise. But the reason, here's the hurdle. Anybody ever tried to run hurdles before? Any runners in the room? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Can you tell? Never was. Just don't, I can't, I can't, I can't get my legs up high. I tried running hurdles one time in PE class. Count it, one. And I'll tell you why. I almost never had McKinley and Macy uh, trying to jump over those hurdles. It was almost devastating and embarrassing. So what are the hurdles to a man being the man that God has called them to be? And we said that was selfish passivity and selfish aggression. That men are naturally passive and aggressive. And today, I want to step into man's redemption. Like, so, so, Carl, you've told me what man's purpose is. You've showed me that in God's word. You've showed me where the hurdles were. We looked at Adam and how Adam and Eve were in the garden. Eve was being tempted by the snake, and Adam just stood by right next to her and let her be deceived. He didn't protect her. He didn't guard her. He wasn't trying to cultivate her heart in that moment. He was passive and lazy. And look what it did. So Carl, what, uh, what's the answer? What's the answer? How do, how do I become the man that God has called me to be? And in the last couple of weeks, we've said, women, this isn't the time for you to check out. This isn't, these aren't the sermons for you to skip over and just wait till we get to women in a couple of weeks. 
You need to understand the bar that is set for the men around you so you can hold them to that standard. So today, we're going to step into the darkness and see how Jesus redeems men back to what they were called to be. So let's look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, again, if you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the pew in front of you, and we're going to read together about 14 verses, okay? Ezekiel 37, the Lord, got, uh, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. Are you picturing this with me? This is a wild scene. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Everybody say, come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Keep reading. Verse uh, number seven. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, say suddenly. As I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together, attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then I watched muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath in them. Verse 9, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life, stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, I want you to underline all hope is gone. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again. 
and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Let me paint the picture. The guy writing this and his entire nation is currently in exile. So when he's prophesying all these things, he's writing this down. He writes it all down from exile. They have been cast out of their homeland. It would be as if someone came into the state of Virginia, took over its government structure, and kicked us out into uh, South America somewhere. Mexico, somewhere where you don't know. Some of y'all don't even know that there's like a New Kent County across the line over you. Um, But I'm talking removed from your homeland, everything you're familiar with. This is when he's writing this. The, at this time, when he's writing this, they were not only exiled, the entire world was at war. Some of the biggest superpowers ever in history are going at it. They were colliding. And the people of Israel, when he wrote this, said, hey, listen, all hope is gone. We're done. We're finished. It's over. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe it's just me. So I'll just talk for Carl. Because some of y'all look like you're about to take a nap. And let me tell you, I will throw something. I will throw something from up here. You hear me at home? I see you online. Quit Quit snoozing. I remember the very dark, dark places where it seemed like there was never going to be an end to my misery, to my loss. That I was never going to be able to overcome the things that were warring inside of me. But then I remember also Jesus Christ stepping into the scene of my heart. I remember it. I remember when there was no hope, and then all of a sudden Jesus Christ brought hope where literally anyone around me would have said, there's no hope for you. He brought that. And that's what we see right here. Jesus makes a promise. The Lord makes a promise to the people of Israel who have been exiled and who are in probably one of the worst, darkest places of their lives. And he promises them this. I will put it back together. He looks at a marriage and he says, I can put that back together. He looks at families and says, I can put that back together. He looks at broken bodies and disease and says, I can put that back together. What looks like is completely lost. He promises the people of Israel. And by promising the people of Israel, we find something out about God. That at his word, just at his word, everything comes back into line. So as I was reading this and trying to figure out, okay, so how do men become the men God has called them to be? And then, Pastor, I love what you're saying, man. You're preaching good preaching. You're preaching a good word about how everything can come back to life. And, and, and I can be the husband. I can be the man that God has called me to be. But how and when 
Like, when, when does God breathe life back into things that are dead? And some of you may not have experienced it, but I have been in very dead places and seen God do it, make a way. How, pastor, how? So let me rewind just a little bit. If you look at Genesis 2.16, um, last week we found out something very, very important to understand. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Um, no, that's 18. I'm sorry. 16 says, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Here's the connection. Where there is sin, there is death. Write it down. Make a note. Where there is sin, there is death. So that also means that where there is sin, there is the stench of death. And last week, we looked at manhood and some of the hurdles to manhood. And we saw some sin that what it will create is the stench of death in your families, in your churches, and in your communities. One of the things that we said um, selfish passivity looks like is this. Men who would rather engage in fantasy than reality. Men who refuse to deal with what is and just dream about the good life. They dream of better jobs, better spouses, better entertainment. They get lost in things. Instead of dealing with the reality that within their own home, there's war and things to be engaged with. Men have a tendency to lay back. And where there is that sin, there is the stench of death in that household. Checking out emotionally or when, and we said this last week as well, silence in a moment where words are needed is also selfish passivity. Hear me, men, when you're supposed to speak up and speak life into the women around you, when you are supposed to call out evil and you lay back and say nothing, that is sinful. And there's a reason that your marriage looks like the way it does. There's a reason that your houses look the way they do, your families. It's because God has called you to stand in the gap, to step into the fray with the truth of the gospel. But instead, your sinful need to lay back and be passive takes a toll on your family. Hiding sin, laziness, And all of this sinfulness, hear me, all of this sinfulness is wrapped up in a broken world. Would you agree? Would you agree with me this morning that this world doesn't seem like it is the way it's supposed to be? It seems like we're seeing the worst in people. People you thought you knew, right? And 
so not only are men trying to be men and, and trying to jump over these hurdles of passivity and aggression. And aggression, did you know one in three women live in a household where they face abuse? Physical, verbal, um, emotional, all of it. One in three. And the reason is, is when sin entered the world, God told Eve, Hey, listen, your desire is going to be for your husband and his desire is going to be to rule over you with an iron fist of sorts. So what do we do, Carl? What, what's the answer? Let me take you to Ephesians real quick. Let me give you some hope. Everybody say hope. Look at your neighbor, say hope. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 say this. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Hear me this morning. Don't listen to this pastor, this preacher. Just listen to Carl for just a minute. Where there are dead spaces, where there is death and the need for life, what did we find out in Ezekiel? What do we need? We need God to, one, put it back together, and then what else? To breathe life into it. I think some of us believe that we can like keep it all together and like make it look like a living body, right? But it ain't got no life in it. You realize he didn't stop at just putting the skeletons back together. No, he went further and he breathed life into it. And this is what this verse is saying. God was so rich in mercy that in Jesus Christ, he gives us life. He puts it all together in Christ. So the reason you're having a hard time being a man, the man God has called you to be, is because you aren't relying on Christ for it. You're not relying. In him, we have life. In him, the bones come back together. In him, we are the men God can call us to be. And then also, I want you to look at Romans 6 and verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Let me encourage you. Now, some of you don't know Christ, like you don't surrender to Christ. Christ isn't Lord of your life. So if that is you, you have to to find Christ before you can enjoy any of the benefits of what we're talking about here. That that might not be friendly to say, but um, that's the word of God. If you don't know Christ, if if you have not chosen him and have a desire to obey him and live for him, then you are dead in him. And God may be calling you to him today. You may be here for a reason. 
God is calling you. Hey, through his Holy Spirit, come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. I will help you be and fix, and I will put it all back together, and I'll breathe life into every dead space. And what Romans 6, 6 tells us is that in Christ, we no longer have to say yes to all these sins. They no longer have power over us. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit strengthens us to do the work God has called us to do. And I'll tell you why this is ultra uplifting for me. Can I be transparent? Hear me. The call of God, men, on your life to cultivate, sacrificially love our, the women in our lives, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. So if you're trying to white-knuckle it and you're like, oh, I can, I'll be a great husband, brother, son, whatever. I'll be a good man and I won't submit to Christ. What you will find is you'll white knuckle that thing and it will still get out of your hands. Because men aren't created, hear this, for comfort or the couch. Men aren't created for comfort on the couch. And I'll tell you why. He has called us to war. Men, hear me. What, what, what's our default? I just want to sit on the couch and be left alone. But what God is calling you to today is to get up. Get up and war for your family. Get up and war for your marriage. Get up and war for your kids And look, if you think this looks like some grandiose thing, it isn't. Sometimes going to war just means trying to love and pour into my wife after a long day of work. That's getting up and going to war. Sometimes it's trying to disciple and dig into the hearts of my kids at bedtime when I don't want to fool with it. I need to get up and go to war. Sometimes it's trying to manage the budget instead of ignoring it. Sometimes it's speaking up. But the great comfort, men, if you're looking for comfort today, I want you to find that comfort in Christ. The goal is not perfection. Any perfect men in the room? Don't you raise your hand. You might lose it. The goal is not perfection. Is that the expectation? Yeah. The expectation is that you sacrificially love your family, church, and community. The expectation is that you wring yourself out and put all your desires to the side for the flourishing of your families. That's the goal. Right? That's what's expected. But the goal isn't perfection. The goal is pursuit. The goal is pursuit. Let me go to Ephesians 5, and then we're going to get ready to close. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. 
really, really good. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. Everybody say dead. And Christ will give you light. Say light. When Christ, the light of Christ, comes into your life, the Bible calls us. This is what it should look like. You come to church on Sundays, right? You should. If you don't go to church on Sundays, man, you are missing out. And we hope you come back next week and you're not like, wow, that preacher is crazy. He shouts too much. Um, He's a little off his rocker. Good. I'm glad. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Well, let's close the service. Whether you're in small groups, can I tell you, small groups last week launched with uber success. So if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. But if you go to small group or you come to church on Sundays, you hear the word of God proclaimed. You shouldn't hear a preacher's opinions or anything like that. You should just hear the word of God peeled into, and that is the light of Christ that should shine in your heart. And what does it do? It exposes, it makes everything visible. So the process should look like this. You allow the word of God to expose everything in you, the good and the bad. And we accept the fact that we get perfection from Christ. Christ imputed righteousness onto us when when God goes to judge the people of God. You know what he's going to see? He's going to see the cross. He's going to see the payment for you. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us for that pursuit. And so the Bible would say, awake, O sleeper, come up. Arise, get up, get up. Look at your neighbor, say get up. But don't actually get up, just stay right there for a minute. So men, this this lends us to do a couple things. Did you know this? Pretending to be more of a man than you are makes you less of a man. Pretending to be more of a man than you are makes you less of a man. Let me tell you something. I told, uh, I think I told our small group on Friday night, I said, look, you can fool everybody. But the only person you're hurting is yourself by pretending you're something you're not. And church isn't the place for it. We don't expect you to come around here pretending to be something you're not. We want you to allow the light of Christ to expose all that sinfulness inside you and put it to death so that when you leave here, you're going to love your families better. You're going to lead them to Christ better. You're going to live better. People at the workplace are going to be like, what happened to you? And you're going to point to Christ and say it was his light inside of me. He awoke me. He brought dead things back to life. But honestly, sometimes men just don't know where to go if the band wants to come back up. Sometimes men just don't know where to go. And so let me give you some, let me give you some pointers, guys. And then next week we're going to talk about incomplete, and then we're going to have three whole weeks on women.
So buckle up. I may be having to put my resume out after the end of this series. I don't know. We'll see. Biblical masculinity often looks like three things, okay? One is accountability. You know what the worst, a man's worst fear? Being held accountable. I think all people have a general fear of being held accountable. But men have a tendency to want to be more and pretend to be more than they actually are. Accountability for a man is scary. But oftentimes, that's exactly what biblical masculinity looks like. Guys, hear me. If you can't figure out how to love your wives well, find a man in this church who's doing it right and go to him and say, hey, listen, I'm screwing up here. I cannot get this right. Can you help me? There's no shame in that. There's no weakness there. Did you know the scripture says that Christ is made strong in our weakness? How do you expect to become strong in Christ? You never admit anything's weak. You're too busy pretending. Stop pretending. If you leave here today with anything, man or woman, hear me today, stop pretending. Stop acting like you're fooling anybody. You are sinful in need of Christ. I am sinful in need of Christ. You think I'm winning this game? You think this pastor standing up here owning like I am the God sin to my marriage? I am not. But you have to own it before you can fix it. You gotta own it. Accountability. Number two, have a conversation. Stop being so scared to talk. Husbands, have a conversation with your wife. Not just, what's wrong with you? Look, I am, I am world's worst at this, so <laughs> cursing will get real twisted. I'll be like, what crawled up in you? That's not the way to, that's not the way to, I, I promise you, that's, you're not going to get the response you want out of that. Matter of fact, she hates the word twisted now. Have a conversation with your wife. Baby, where are you at? Where's your heart? No, I, no, I don't care where she is. My wife left. She don't, she only, she's heard all my preaching, so she's done. Uh, no, she's probably changing diaper. Listen, husbands, talk to your wife. Honey, where's your heart at? What are you wrestling with? Wives, be gracious. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't even know what he's digging for. And we'll talk about this in another, in a couple weeks. So here's a little preview. But women, there is a way to help your husband that will bring life. There's also a way to help your husband that will bring the stench of death. And it ain't really help. Men, have conversations with your sisters in Christ. Are you checking in on the women around you? Lastly, show empathy. 
show empathy. And look, this isn't easy. As I close today, let me tell you what my prayer is. My prayer, just like in Ezekiel, just like when God spoke to those bones and put them back together and put all those tendons and muscles and reconnected it all and then breathed life into, and God said, this represents the people of God, and now we know that God can bring dead things back to life and he can put it all together. My prayer is this, that God would begin to put our men back together. Every joint, every tendon, every muscle, and that he would breathe life into our men so that we, so that our women flourish. And sometimes women have to try and flourish despite men. We said a couple weeks ago that where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. So single moms, widows, God sees you and extends grace where the optimum is not present. Don't give in, men. Hear me. Just man to man this morning, don't give in. I want you to fight. I want you to go to war for your families today. That's the call. Wives on your way home, encourage him in the ways he's actually doing good. Not, please, hear me. We're about to sing and worship and, and, and look internally for a second. Do not get in your car and as soon as you talk to the man in your life, say, hey, did you hear, did you hear everything he preached this morning? Get it right. Don't do that. Get in the car and say, hey, I'm so thankful you work so hard for our family. I think oftentimes we become, especially in marriage, and obviously I'm sensitive to those who aren't married this morning, whose husbands have gone on or wives have gone on or have been divorced or whatever the case may be. I have found one of the biggest weaknesses in most marriages is that we become experts in each other's weaknesses instead of experts in each other's strengths. You can point out real quick where the other is terrible and awful and annoys the fire out of you. Can I tell you the secret? The secret is become an expert in your spouse's strengths. Point those out. Lift those up. Encourage them in that. And most of all, men, as we get ready to worship, I want you to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross that redeems all men from their hurdles. My mic went off. I want you to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross for you. Stop trying to do it on your own. You will fail miserably. But in submitting to Christ, hear me, there is beautiful flourishing for you and your family. God has it for you. God has it for you. He will do it. Hear me this morning. He will do it. Women, hear me. The men that you so despise or you're so bitter with right now, hear me. He can do it. Christ can do it in them. And men, for those feeling discouraged and like this is unattainable, Christ can do it in you. I've seen him do it. I've seen him make a way. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, 
check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.